Wade. Now what? I got that coming up. Want to protect your kids? Teach them some respect. Dangerous body modifications and a Sesame Street episode. Too scary for kids. I'm Jay Sheldon. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Saturday, everybody. It is a Saturday night. We're here. We're live across the planet on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and our good friends at Rumble.com. Please, if you can, head over to Rumble.com. Check out our live show, all of our library of all of our past 230 shows. This is our 230th show, and uh, you can find it all there on Rumble.com. Uh, slash J Sheldon, easy to find. Actually, I think it's slash C. There's a link in the show notes in our description down below. Just click that link and click subscribe while you're there. Please do subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. It's free and it helps us out tremendously. It really does. I can't tell you how much, whether you're on YouTube, our YouTube channel, Facebook, uh, twitch.tv or, or Rumble especially. Please do hit the subscribe or follow button over there. And hello to all of our podcast listeners. Yes. Across the U.S., Malaysia, India, Australia, the U.K. we got listeners around the planet. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Zane has joined the stream. Hello, Zane. Uh, he says, in South Africa, children with HIV were so common. Sesame Street had a character with HIV. Uh I applaud them for that. That's a that's it's a part of uh, who we are these days, and uh, not only in South Africa, but sadly there, uh, but around the planet, really. Uh, wow, that's that's cool. Uh, Sesame Street nowadays has changed. It's gotten a little woke, a little too PC. Uh, but you know, um, hey, I knew the guy. By the way, I was friends with the guy who uh, created the Big Bird? Was it the Big Bird costume? I think it was the Big Bird costume. I forget his name. It was back in Connecticut. But what was his name? He was a part of public television and uh, PBS uh, in Connecticut. And he actually, it was something to do with Sesame Street. I'm pretty sure it was the Big Bird costume. I did know, you know Toys R Us? You know the giraffe? Now this I remember, Helen Hedden from Cornwall, Connecticut, she actually sewed together and created the first Toys R Us giraffe costumes. I know. I've grown up with the weirdest, coolest friends. But yeah, absolutely true. Uh, Helen Hedden, a, a million years ago. And I haven't thought about Helen Hedden in, in ages. In ages. All right, one thing I do think about almost every minute of every day is this little lady. Miko update. <laughs> well, uh, Miko update, she's doing good uh, on the whole. Specifically today, tonight, not so good. I don't know, I think she's got a little bug or something. She just, she's feeling kind of down. She's kind of lazing around, not doing much of anything, just relaxing, chilling out. We did get some great shots of her uh, earlier today uh, when she was, <laughs> this is her typical pose when she's playing with a toy. Butt in the air, feet on the ground, and away she goes. 
she's also, as as I told you before, she looks skinnier because she has lost so much fur during this shedding season that it almost seems kind of not normal. But um, if it keeps going, we're going to take her to a vet and have her checked out for allergies because it's just a little weird. Okay, that's probably not a good porn shot there of, of Miko. But anyway, overall, she's doing great. <laughs> so there you go. Now you got updated on the Meekster and uh, what's happening with her. All right. The big story across the planet that everyone is talking about, at least certainly in the U.S. and ridiculously so on other parts of the world, uh, is the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision, which basically got rid of the Roe versus uh, Wade decision. Uh, but a few things. And, you know, I realized here in Malaysia, I don't want to paint everybody with a broad br a brush, but I will. A lot of people, a lot of my friends, let me put it that way, because that's what I know. That's what I see on social media. A lot. Like, I can't think of an instance that this didn't happen. A lot of my friends apparently get their news from mainstream media or the New York Times, which is mainstream media, CNN, the liars over at MSNBC, all these fake news outlets. But this is their source of news about what's happening in the U.S., sadly, because they're so horrifically uninformed or misinformed, I should say, that they just buy the bullcrap that these ridiculous networks put out there. They, you know, to be fair, it's half a planet away, so who cares? They just read the headlines and off they go and life goes on. We got bigger things to worry about than what those crazy people in the U.S. are doing. But I got a big U.S. audience, so I'm talking to you guys. They want you to believe, first of all, that abortion was a constitutional right. It isn't. It isn't in the Constitution. I have read the latest Supreme Court decision. So I am not speaking from a position of not knowing. I obviously have also read the Constitution. In fact, at one point in my life, when I was in law enforcement, I raised my right hand and swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. Um, <laughs> it does not make abortion illegal. It doesn't. All it does is to throw that decision back where it belongs to the people, to the states, where the people in the state can vote or send representatives. That's how democracy or a constitutional republic works. You vote for people you want to represent you that will represent your views. You put them in the, in the legislature, the state house, the state senate, and they vote. And the states individually will vote whether or not they ban abortions, whether abortions are legal at some point in the pregnancy or not, or no abortion at all, or abortions are completely legal. It isn't to the federal government to decide that. And that is what the Supreme Court has said, rightly so. That decision is not a constitutional thing. It has to do with states, and the states are the one who should decide. It absolutely did not ban abortion. And by the way, to these people who just take this and try and scare the crap out of you, I see this all over the net, the next thing. 
oh, the next thing they're going to come for gay marriage. It's not even mentioned. It has nothing to do with uh, the right of gay and lesbian people to marry, which you have in the United States. Zero, nothing, kosong. So get off of that horse and stop spreading that kind of bullcrap, fake junk around, because it's not true. Do you just like to click retweet because it's easy, or do you actually take a moment to research the crap you're putting out there before you click the re retweet button or send on Facebook or wherever your platform is? Do you take the time to actually find out what the facts are? You should. Otherwise, you're no different a source of misinformation than these idiots at CNN and MSNBC. I get the same kind of reaction from my friends here in Malaysia who obviously get their news from one of these ridiculous outlets. And don't bother. And again, like I said, we're a half a world away. We really don't give a crap what goes on over there. But people will make comments. And I can tell from the comments they're making, they're as misinformed as you idiot leftists are in the U.S. So, But I wanted to attack this from another angle. A completely, you know, this show... We do, like I just did in the last few minutes, get a little political now and then, get a little, you know, I'm a bit of a right winger. You don't like that, find another show. I really don't give a crap. But I like to attack things from a different angle. I like to twist things around. I like to see things differently. We don't spend a whole lot of time on this show doing a lot of controversial stuff occasionally, like just now we do. When I feel strongly about something, especially misinformation you morons rely on from these idiot television channels or newspaper head. It was actually in the headline of the New York Times. It said the constitutional right of abortion. In the New York Times. Not that that should surprise you. It doesn't surprise me. But yeah, it was actually... Uh, okay, moving on. I wanted to attack this Roe v. Wade thing from a different angle. You get pregnant. I'm speaking to the women in the audience. I know I have a very large male audience. I don't know why, but for some reason, this show skews hugely male, like 10 to 1 on the demographic gender scale. That's for those people, I guess, who identify as female. Uh, so if you, if you are a woman, not identify as female, because if you identify as female and you're actually a male, you can't get pregnant. But what do you expect when you get pregnant? The World of Buzz that we use a lot on this show came up with this very cool article, and I had to share it because it's, it kind of relates to what we're talking about, because there are some people who are going to wind up pregnant who will stay pregnant and give birth, who might not have been able to before or might not have wanted to before. Anyway, this is such a cool article. The link's in our show notes. You want to read the whole thing, please do. Give them a click. Expect the unexpected. Here's what five Malaysian moms wish they knew before they got pregnant. Now, I know this is written for Malaysia, but it applies anywhere on the planet. If you're pushing out a puppy, this has to do with you. So, uh, morning sickness, more like all day sickness. 
For an expectant mother, pregnancy is more than just producing offspring. It's about putting her body through a huge amount of change to create a human life. And to reflect that, the process of pregnancy from start to finish is one giant mixed bag of challenges, weird body functions. Uh, There could only be so much one could learn from gynecologists and other mothers. So let moms-to-be know what to anticipate from this roller coaster ride. Uh, They asked a few precautionary tales from some Malaysian moms about what to expect, the things that you either don't hear about or people don't talk about. Number one, it's a lot more painful and nastier than what Hollywood would have you believe. (laughs) We mentioned before you shouldn't outright trust the internet when it comes to your uh, OBGYN needs, but there's a a more more places that uh, more ill suited for setting your pregnancy expectations definitely it would be hollywood uh, fictional pregnancies often chock full of tropes and inaccuracies that have filtered many audience members with unrealistic expectations uh, with uh, unrealistic expectations that women go through in their pregnancies um, this woman is quoted as saying i was pregnant with my first child at age 28 For the first four months, I lost a lot of weight and vomited nonstop through my first trimester. The experience was eye-opening as I'd only heard of beautiful stories regarding pregnancy. Number two, your legs are your body's MVP during pregnancy. Get schooled on what varicose veins are. Large, swollen blood vessels found primarily in the legs, but they can show up anywhere on the lower half of your body. And that, by the way, includes your rectum. Yikes. Uh, These veins look purplish in color, usually visible above the surface of the skin in the form of lumps. Varicose veins can affect up to 40% of all pregnant women. This one woman says, Both my legs experienced varicose veins, which appeared from my thighs to my ankles. I never expected I would get to this condition. Sleep becomes a very precious commodity when you are expecting. A lot of people tend to underestimate how pregnancy can affect a woman's sleep schedule. Uh, It's said that around half of all pregnant women suffer from insomnia, which can be quite detrimental. Sleep is so important to everybody's health care, men, women, whether you're pregnant or not. Uh, it's very essential to prenatal care. Again, quoting one of the people they interviewed, in my 20th week, I couldn't sleep a wink almost every night. And on the nights when I did manage to sleep, I always wound up waking up around 3 a.m. to go to the bathroom. Once I'm done with my business, I can't go back to sleep anymore. Uh, Number four, I never expected my three pregnancies to be so wildly different from each other. So whatever you may have experienced in your first pregnancy may not necessarily be what you're going to experience in your next one. It can be a very fickle phenomenon. No matter how often a woman experiences it, there are always some psychological issues around the corner that's bound to blindside them. Again, a woman quoting here, my pregnancy with my first child, pretty smooth sailing, and though possibly because of my young age at the time, 
But that pregnancy ended up being a far cry from the next two. For my second pregnancy, I couldn't walk more than a few feet without morning sickness setting in. So what she experienced the first time ain't exactly what she experiences the next times. And finally, I can't believe it took us three years to conceive. Might sound like a broken record at this point, but it bears repeating pregnancy is an unpredictable event. For those of us lucky enough to receive proper sex education, we were often taught almost religiously to use contraception to uh, evade unwanted pregnancies. But most of the time, aspiring parents are usually unprepared for one hard truth. Skipping contraception does not always mean you can immediately get pregnant. Again, quoting from one of the people they interviewed, we had to learn the hard way. There's more to reproducing than just having unprotected sex a few times. We failed to consider many aspects like my ovulation cycle, my age, my genetics, even my husband's sperm health should have come into account as it turns out. There's a lot that goes into it and it isn't so easy as just deciding you want to have a kid and then it happens. It doesn't always happen. Conception, not necessarily a smooth journey. This goes on a bit. Uh, check it out. The link is in our show notes. Very cool article and very informative article too. And like I said, I thought what with the comments I wanted to make in the beginning about abortion in the U.S. and the Roe versus Wade decision, this might be some piece of information y'all could use. So there you go. Links in our show notes tonight. You want to check that out. All right. So what happens when you do have a child? Mm -mm. I don't mean the moment of birth. I'm not going to get into that. Thank you. I mean, when your child grows up, Troy Mack on his Facebook page made this post. The link is in our show notes. It's just words on a screen, so I'm not going to bore you showing you the words on a screen. But I do want to read you what Troy wrote because, man, is it how I feel times a thousand. I wish I'd have wrote this myself. It's brilliant. And it has to do with you teaching your damn kids a little respect. Something that is sorely missing. I notice it here in Malaysia. I really notice it in the U.S. And Troy writes, it is not the police who need to be restrained. It's the public. We've grown into a mouthy, mobile, phone-wielding, vulgar, uncivilized society with no personal responsibility and the attitude of, it's the other person's fault. You owe me. A society where children grow up with no boundaries or knowledge or concern for civil society and personal responsibility. When an officer says, put your hands up, you put your hands up. Don't reach for something in your pocket, your lap, your seat. There's plenty of reason for a police officer to feel threatened. There have been multiple assaults, ambushes on police officers' safety. You saw a video that was went viral just in the last few days of some moron, a cop is at a, a traffic stop, some idiot, some freak pulls up alongside him, stops his car, gets out with an axe, and charges at the officer. That officer had a life-or-death decision to make within less than a second, which he correctly made. Comply with the request from the officer. Have your day in court. Don't mouth off or fight or refuse to comply. That 
escalates the situation. Police officers are our sons and our daughters, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. They're black, white, brown, all colors, all ethnicities, all faiths, male, female, they are us. They see the worst side of humanity, the raped children, the bloody, mangled bodies of traffic victims, the bruised and battered victims of domestic abuse, homicide victims, body parts, day after day after day. They work holidays while we have festive meals with our families. They miss school events with their kids, birthdays, anniversaries, all those special occasions we take for granted every day. They work in all kinds of weather under dangerous conditions for relatively low pay in most places. They have extensive training, but they're human. When there are numerous attacks on them, they become hypervigilant for a reason. They've become targets. When a police officer encounters any person, any person, whether a traffic stop, a street confrontation, an arrest, whatever, the situation has the potential to become life-threatening. You, Mr. and Mrs. Civilian, also have the responsibility of keeping the situation from getting out of control. Many law enforcement officers are veterans. They've been in service to this nation most of their lives, whether on the battlefield or protecting us here at home. They are the only thing that stands between us and anarchy in the streets. You want to protect your child? Teach them respect. That is from Sheriff David Clark. And that is a picture of the good sheriff right there. Wow. Truer words, my friends. Truer words. And while you watch the morons who continue to loot and burn and basically cause a real insurrection going on right now because of the Supreme Court's decisions, you keep that in mind about respecting the police. And that's all police officers, whether it's in Malaysia or the UK or the US, doesn't matter, wherever it may be. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Wow. I've done 24 minutes on a whole bunch of heavy topics. And this isn't going to get much better. I've shared another two links in our show notes tonight. One is this very article. The other is another article about 10 of the most dangerous body modifications you can do. But this one in particular is from a Facebook page called Mysterious and Bizarre. There is a new, you know, people get their ears pierced. I had my, in fact, my ear is still pierced. I forget which one because I haven't worn an earring in ages. Um, that is the, other than a small tattoo I have on this arm, I think that's it. I got one ear pierced and one little small tattoo here. That's it. But I've seen some of these idiots that take their body and just, you know, consider it a canvas and make a piece of art out of it. There is a new, it's not new, but it's becoming popular. God, I hope not. Uh, body modification, which is called a conch removal. Conch, like a conch shell. Folks, I've spent my life 
doing sound in one form or another, whether it was in radio, in television, doing voiceover work. I rely on my ears to hear my, the sound. I honestly would probably give up a sense of smell or almost any other sense except maybe sight before I'd give up my sense of hearing. I always say you do you. I'm going to make an exception to that rule. If you do this, you're an idiot. I'm going to warn you, this picture is not pleasant to look at. It's on Facebook. It's a public post. To me, it's disgusting. So if you want to turn away from the screen, or maybe you've got kids in the room or something, you want to look away, look away. To me, I even hesitated to show this but I just want to make the point of exactly how stupid, how freaking stupid these people can be. Take a look at this. This is the new thing, a conch removal to do to your ear. Do you realize that your ear was designed for a specific purpose? Every little flap in there designed to gather sound and port it into your ear against your eardrums to hear clearly. You may think this is cool now, but the day will come. You are an idiot if you get this done. And if you allow your child to have this done, then you ought to have your child taken away from you and you ought to be arrested for child abuse and thrown in jail. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and I've seen some dumb freaking things. What moron would do this to themselves? You have to be stupid. Uh, again, I got to explain this for my podcast listeners. Basically, these idiots have taken the inner part of their ear just before the hole in your ear. I don't know what the science name for all this crap is. And they basically cut it out. I was drunk. Give me a break. Not an excuse. Not accepting that excuse, Zane. And I know that you've never done this. So don't tell me you've got this because I know you're smarter than that. Unbelievable. Okay, get that off the screen. I don't want to even see it anymore. It's more. It's beyond disgusting. You're an idiot. Check out the link in our show notes. And there is another link below that one which is from uh, everydayhealth.com, 10 Most Dangerous Body Modifications. I am not going to show these pictures. They're disgusting, but I encourage you to look at it and read it and find out more about it because it's just... You do you rule doesn't apply. Don't do you in this case. All right. Couple of lighter things before we get onto our book here tonight, because we're pushing the time here. Do you know there is a Sesame Street episode that never aired? No one until now has ever seen one episode of Sesame Street. It's been called the Lost Episode. It was deemed too scary for kids after they shot it. After they shot it, edited it, put together, uh, executive producers, whoever, the channel looked at it, PBS, and said, no, we can't air this. 
It's too scary. This is an article from Upworthy.com. The link is in our show notes. And I specifically, I'm going to tell you because the letters W-I-T-C-H are the reason why this episode is too scary. Yes, our dear friend Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West, was the guest star on this episode of Sesame Street. I've watched it. Once upon a time in the mid-70s, Sesame Street traded its bright, sunny atmosphere, you know, sunny day, for ominous gray skies. Most of us would have probably never known that if it hadn't been for the power of the Internet. An entire episode of this children's show has resurfaced online after it was initially pulled off the air for being too frightening for kids. It turns out even Sesame Street isn't impervious to a wayward witch's broom. Uh, the video clip starts with the upbeat, fast-talking David, played by Northern Calloway, exiting Hooper's store, struggling his ma- uh, way to make through some gusts of wind. And then he looks up and says, oh, look at that. Something's falling from the sky. And a broom comes, and he catches it just in the nick of time. Well, it so happens... Margaret Hamilton, the amazing actress that played the Wicked of the uh, Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz, uh, was the guest on the show, and she was playing her character, the Wicked Witch of the West. And uh, it goes on. She tries to get her broom back. She can't get it. Eventually, she gets it back. I watched the episode. The link is here. It's the full Sesame Street episode. You can see it there on the on the video. I'm not going to play it because I will get smacked with such a copyright for infringement. They'll throw me off every channel I'm on. So I'm not going to play it. But the link is there if you want to watch it. It is on YouTube and you can go check it out. The whole show is there. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, and again, uh, it's it's just the coolest show. It is a bit scary. You can see how maybe a three or four year old kid might not have, you know, had the best of time watching this particular episode. But yeah, it is the amazing, rarely heard of lost episode of Sesame Street. And the link is in our show notes down below. You check it out. It's from upworthy.com. So you'll see that link in there. That is the article. And the Facebook link is right there to the uh, to the show. It's very, very cool and very weird. And I've told this story before, but just point of personal privilege here. I have to, uh, I have to relate uh, because of uh, not my direct connection, but my very close connection to Margaret Hamilton. Uh, when Ms. Hamilton was in a senior citizen's home, uh, old folks' home, as we used to call it, um, it was in uh, a town next to where I grew up in Cornwall, Connecticut. And my mom, who was a uh, nursing assistant, uh, was assigned to take care of her. Margaret, yeah, the Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh, My mom said it was such an honor. It was so amazing to talk with this woman and uh, hear the stories she had to tell, which were many, many. And uh, one of the things that Ms. Hamilton used to say was that her, one of her biggest regrets was that people only remembered her as the Wicked Witch of the West. Now, if you're going to be remembered for something, that one ain't too bad. 
But uh, she did. She was an amazing actress. She starred in a lot of films, TV shows, episodes of series. Uh, she had a long and varied career. Of course, the biggest role of her life was the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. So like I said, uh, she regretted that people didn't uh, know her for a lot of her other life's body of work in acting. But uh, yeah, she, she's long since passed. We miss her badly, but that's my little personal story about Margaret Hamilton, whom we love. We love the pieces. All right. And uh, just before we get on to our book, I got one more. We always end with a good news story, and we've got one. It is directly out of Malaysia, but don't tune out if you're not from Malaysia, because this story is related to uh, a lot more than that. Uh, it's from Richard Kerr. It's a public post, so um. I'm not sharing anything out of school. I believe this is originally a, it's originally a Twitter feed, but it was posted on Facebook. And it has to do with a Malaysian zoologist. Mm, really, not kidding. He was a Malaysian zoologist who studied the biological diversity of the Malay Peninsula and Borneo. Published more than 300 scientific papers and books, Zunagara was built because of this gentleman's work. Gone but not forgotten, the story of Dr. Lim Bu Liat. And that is a picture of Dr. Liat, or Dr. Lim, I should say, uh, at work. Amazing. The late Dr. Lim Bu Liat, born uh, August 21st in 1926 in Kalang in Selangor. Uh, the south of Klang, where he came, came from, was a large village then. Rubber coconut were the main products. During high school, he spent his time at the school garden, watching small animals and insects. He was 16 when World War II happened. Wow. He had to pause his study, do odd jobs to get income for his family. He went to Kerry Island in Klang, set up machinery to harvest salt from seawater. He learned to identify animals from the Ma Mary indigenous people there. Uh, after the war in 47, Dr. Lim became a temporary lab assistant at the in, uh, Institute of Medical Research in KL, Kuala Lumpur. He got the job because of his knowledge that he'd acquired during his time on the island. It's amazing. Dr. Lim worked hard, promoted to a permanent lab assistant in 52. That's a picture of him in the lab. This is an incredible story. First assigned to studying scrub typhus carried from mites to rats, also studied small mammals, parasites involved traveling through Southeast Asia under the Bishop Museum. Uh, this is a museum of history and science in Honolulu, Hawaii. Wow. During the same period, he helped found our national zoo, Zoo Nagara, here in Malaysia. In the 50s, he helped reestablish the Malaysian Nature Society. His Incredible research gave him the opportunity to study Master of Science at University of Aberdeen, Scotland. That was despite not having a formal bachelor degree of science. He returned to the IMR as a zoologist in 72, headed their medical ecology division. In 77, he became the head of the Vector Biology Control Unit at the WHO in Jakarta. Worked there, including research on the plague, malaria control, and rodent control. He worked at the WHO until his retirement in 1987. 
After his retirement, he became the Honorary Consultant on Zoology for the Department of Wildlife and National Parks of Peninsular Malaysia. He helped establish a research lab for small animals. Wow, that is an amazing story. He received lots of awards, recognition. There's a picture of Dr. Lim in his later years. More of these, look at this list, just goes on and on here of all these amazing Merdeka Award, Environmental Category, Elected Fellow of the Academy Science Malaysia. And this week, Dr. Lim was honored and recognized as a Google Doodle. He was the first Southeast Asian to get an honorary membership to the American Society of Mammologists. So, congratulations in memory of... The amazing Dr. Lim. Never heard that story before, and it's a brilliant one, and Malaysians should be proud. Uh, he not only continued the amazing work uh, here in Malaysia, but his work affected people around the globe. Uh, Zane says, I don't always agree with what you say, man. Sometimes I strongly disagree. Hey, that's okay. That's what this is about, an exchange of ideas. We, don't, we can still be friends and not agree on everything. That's called uh, life. Anyway, as sometimes you tell me great new pieces of information. I never heard of Dr. Lim Boulat before this. Cool. I'm glad I could pass that along. That's exactly the reason I wanted to pass that along tonight, because I thought perhaps a lot of people had never heard of Dr. Lim, and people should know about the guy who basically was responsible, among many, many, many other things, for our own Zunagara. Fascinating stuff. All right. Okay, are you ready for some? Uh, are you ready for some book stuff? <laughs> I am. Uh, let me see. Let's call up the title page. There we go. And uh, we're reading another classic book on the show. We've been doing Sherlock Holmes now for the last uh, oh, six, eight, ten episodes because it's a big book. Each uh, chapter is a new adventure. And uh, right now we were on this strange murder mystery, and we're going to continue on uh, where we left off on our last show, talking about an inheritance. The matter passed, however, and my father entered into possession of this estate and some 14,000 pounds, which lay to his credit at the bank. One moment, Holmes interposed. Your statement is, I foresee, one of the most remarkable to which I have ever listened. Let me have the date of the reception by your uncle of the letter and the date of his supposed suicide. The latter arrived on March 10th, 1883. His death was seven weeks later, upon the night of May 2nd. Thank you. Pray, proceed. When my father took over the Horsham property, he, at my request, made a careful examination of the attic, which had always been locked up. We found the brass box there, although its contents had been destroyed. On the inside of the cover was a paper label with the initials of KKK repeated on it. The letters, memoranda, receipts, register written beneath, these, we presume, indicated the nature of the papers, which had been destroyed by Colonel Openshaw. For the rest, there was nothing of much importance in the attic, save a great many scattered papers and notebooks bearing upon my uncle's life in America, 
Some of them were of the war time and showed that he'd done his duty well and had borne the brave repute of a soldier. Others were of a date during the reconstruction of the southern states and were mostly concerned with politics, for which he had eventually taken a strong part in opposing the carpetbag politicians who'd been sent down from the north. Well, it was the beginning of 84 when my father came to live at Horsham and all went as well as possible with us until the January of 85. On the fourth day after the new year, I heard my father give a sharp cry of surprise as we sat together at the breakfast table. There he was, sitting with a newly opened envelope in one hand and five dried orange pips in the outstretched palm of another. He'd always laughed at what he called my cock-and-bull story about the colonel, but he looked very scared and puzzled now that the same thing had come upon himself. Why? What on earth does this mean, John? he stammered. My heart had turned to lead. It is KKK, said I. He looked inside the envelope. So it is, he cried. Here are the very letters. But what is written above them? Put the papers on the sundial, I read, peeping over his shoulder. What papers? What sundial? he asked. The sundial in the garden. There is no other, said I. But the papers must be those that are destroyed. Pooh, said he, gripping hard at his courage. We are in a civilized land here, and we can't have tomfoolery of this kind. Where does this thing come from? From Dundee, I answered, glancing at the postmark. Some preposterous practical joke, said he. What have I to do with sundials and papers? I shall take no notice of such nonsense. I should certainly speak to the police, said I. And he laughed at... And be laughed at for my pains? Nothing of the sort. Then let me do so. No, I forbid you won't have a fuss made about such nonsense. It was in vain to argue with him, for he was a very obstinate man. I went about, however, with a heart which was full of forebodings. On the third day, after the coming of the letter, my father went from home to visit an old friend of his, Major Freebody, who is in command of one of the forts upon Portsdown Hill. I was glad that he should go, for it seemed to me that he was further from danger when he was away from home. In that, however, I was in error. Upon the second day of his absence, I received a telegram from the mayor, from the major, imploring me to come at once. My father had fallen over one of the deep chalk pits which abound in the neighborhood, and he was lying senseless with a shattered skull. I hurried to him but he passed away without ever having recovered his consciousness. He had, as it appears, been returning from Ferrum in the twilight, and as the country was unknown to him and the chalk pit unfenced, the jury had no hesitation in bringing a verdict of death from accidental causes. Carefully, as I examined every facet connected with his death, I was unable to find anything which could suggest the idea of a murder. There were no signs of violence, no footmarks, no robbery, no record of strangers having been seen upon the roads. And yet, I need not tell you that my mind was far from at ease, 
and that I was well-nigh certain that some foul plot had been woven around him. In this sinister way, I came into my inheritance. You will ask me why I did not dispose of it. I answer because I was well-conceived that our troubles were in some way dependent upon an incident in my uncle's life, and that the danger would be as pressing as one house as in another. It was January of 85 that my poor father met his end, and two years and eight months have elapsed since then. During that time I've lived happily at Horsham, and I have begun to hope that this curse had passed away, and that it had ended with the last generation. I begun to take comfort too soon, however. Yesterday morning the blow fell in the very shape from which it had come upon my father. The young man took from his waistcoat a crumpled envelope, and, turning it to the table, he shook out upon it five little dried orange pips. This is the envelope, he continued. The postmark is London, Eastern Division. Within are the very words which were upon my father's last message, KKK, and then put the papers on the sundial. What have you done? asked Holmes. Nothing. Nothing. Well, to tell the truth, he sank his face into his thin white hands. I felt helpless. I felt like one of those poor rabbits when the snake is writhing towards it. I seemed to be in the grasp of some restlessness, inexhortable evil, which no foresight, no precautions can guard against. Tut, tut cried Sherlock Holmes. You must act, man, or you're lost. Nothing but energy can save you. This is no time for despair. I have seen the police. Ah, but they listen to my story with a smile. I am convinced the inspector has formed the opinion that the letters are all practical jokes and the deaths of my relations are really accidents, as the jury stated, and were not to be connected without the warnings." Holmes shook his clenched hands in the air. Incredible imbecility, he cried. They have, however, allowed me a policeman who may remain in the house with me. Has he come with you tonight? No, his orders were to stay in the house. Again, Holmes raved in the air. Why did you come to me, he said, and above all, why did you not come at once? I did not know. It was only today that I spoke to Major Pendergrast about my troubles, and was advised by him to come to you. It is really two days since you had the letter? We should have acted before this. You have no further evidence, I suppose, that you've placed before us, no suggestive detail which might help us. There is one thing, said John Openshaw. He rummaged in his coat pocket, and drawing out a piece of discolored blue-tinted paper, he laid it upon the table. I have some remembrance, said he, that on the day when my uncle burned the papers, I observed that the small, unburned margins which lay amidst the ashes were of this particular color. I found this single sheet upon the floor of his room, and I'm inclined to think that it may be one of the papers which has perhaps fluttered out from among the others, and that in that way has escaped construct destruction. 
Beyond the mention of pips, I don't see that it helps us much. I think myself it is a page from some private diary. The writing is undoubtedly my uncle's. Holmes moved the lamp, and we both bent over the sheet of paper, which showed by its ragged edge that it had indeed been torn from a book. It was headed March 1869, and beneath were the following enigmatical notices. Fourth, Hudson came, same old platform. Seventh, set the pips on McCarthy, Paramore, and John Swain of St. Augustine. Ninth, Macaulay cleared. Tenth, John Swain cleared. Twelfth, visited Paramore. All well. Thank you, said Holmes, folding up the paper and returning it to our visitor. And now you must on no account lose another instant. We cannot spare time even to discuss what you've told me. You must get home instantly and act. What should I do? There is but one thing to do, and it must be done at once. And yes, that's where we're going to leave it for tonight. <laughs> yeah, we will continue on with the story of Mr. Sherlock Holmes and this latest adventure uh, coming up in our next stream, which will be on Monday night. Cool beans. All right, folks, that's going to do it. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Please do like and subscribe to our video over on rumble.com. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you may find us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Follow or subscribe over there. It costs you nothing and it helps out the show a lot. Uh, alrighty. I have no idea what uh, oh, Pakistani refugees. Okay, eh, whatever. All right, I'm going to go. I will see you again on Monday night. I'm Jay Sheldon and this is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night, folks. <laughs> Snort. <laughs>